0: Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 as we continue our study of fourfold responsibility toward the gospel. Remember, Paul is in prison. His death is imminent. He realizes that as his ministry is coming to a close, that it is imperative that the young ministers such as Timothy and Titus continue to proclaim the gospel and continue to fulfill their responsibility and lead their congregations to fulfill their responsibility to the gospel. And today we're going to see where Paul tells Timothy that he must first guard the gospel. Beginning in verse 11. Paul says, "...for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher." For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the sound standard, the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom was Phagelius and Homogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesophorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Now when Paul tells Timothy to guard, that word guard is a military term that means to defend, to protect, to keep watch over, to preserve. The word is used of guarding a palace against an intruding army or of guarding a possession from thieves. So the word picture we're getting here is that we have been entrusted with a treasure that others want to steal and destroy. And we have the duty to defend it, to preserve it, to protect it, to guard it. Paul is telling Timothy that he must guard the gospel. That there are others who want to come in and corrupt it and destroy it. Now when he uses the term gospel, he's not simply talking about what you and I think of as a plan of salvation. Although that surely is included. But he's thinking about the whole teaching of the Christian church. The doctrines of the faith. The Word of God. And he says, Timothy, guard this. It is imperative. It is crucial. Because there are those out there, false teachers, who want to corrupt and destroy the gospel. And pervert it. Therefore, you must guard it. You must treasure it. You must protect it and preserve it. You might be thinking, well, that was then. Is there still really a need in America today To guard the gospel? Are there those who want to pervert it? Who want to corrupt it? Well, you decide. Look at the overhead. What do you think about this statement? We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and the ordinances of the gospel. Does that look pretty good to you? All right, let's see who says that. Mormonism teaches that. Now, the first part looks good, doesn't it? You see, Mormonism is composed of half-truths. And a half-truth is a lie. And Satan hooks us on the true part, and then, if you're not careful, you accept the false part. We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all men may be saved. You and I believe that. But we would say by faith. But they say by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel, which is a works righteousness. All right, let's look at the next one. All who by reason of faith in Jehovah God and in Christ Jesus dedicate themselves to do God's will, and they faithfully carry out this dedication will be rewarded with everlasting life. Who says that? The Jehovah Witnesses. That's what they teach. Again, it's a gospel of works. Salvation. Now the truth is, 95 out of 100 propagators of a gospel that come to your neighbor's door are telling one of those two gospels. Ninety-five, maybe even ninety-eight out of a hundred people who knock on doors propagating a gospel are either Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses. Well, take your own situation. How many of you in here at some time have had either a Mormon or Jehovah Witness knock on your door? Now, you may not have answered it, but they knocked. All right? How many of you have had a Christian witness from an Orthodox church, from a Baptist church, or a church that was teaching the true gospel, knock on your door? Raise your hand. Ninety-five out of a hundred who are knocking on doors. Or one of these two. Next. Let's move more to those who claim to be Christians. To be born again means that we must be changed from a negative to a positive self-image. From inferiority to self-esteem. From fear to love. From doubt to trust. Now that's what it means to be born again. Now, who's propagating that gospel? Robert Schuller. How many of your neighbors are watching Robert Shuler on Sunday mornings? Crystal Cathedral. Let's look at this next one. There is no salvation for those outside the church, Gibson replied. I believe it. He elaborated. Put it this way. My wife is a saint. She's a much better person than I am, honestly. She's like Episcopalian, Church of England. She prays. She believes in God. She knows Jesus. She believes in that stuff. And it's just not fair if she doesn't make it. She's better than I am. But that is a pronouncement from the chair. I go with it. Who said that? Mel Gibson. The of the passion of Christ. Now, when he says the church, he means the Catholic Church. If you're not a member of the Catholic Church, you can't go to heaven. He admits his wife is a better person than he is, says she believes all these things, but she will not go to heaven because she's not a part of the Catholic Church. And when he says that's the pronouncement from the chair, he means from the Pope's chair. When the Pope speaks ex-cathedra from the chair, in Mel Gibson's mind, that is equal with Scripture. It has the authority and infallibility of Scripture. Let's look at the next one. Mary Magdalene was really the wife of Jesus. The two had a child, and their descendants walk among us today. Jesus was simply a great man or prophet, in the earliest historical sources, but was later proclaimed divine at the Council of Nicaea. That's what the book, the Da Vinci Code, is saying. Over 10 million copies have been sold in 42 different languages. And the author, Dan Brown, says that it was based on historical evidence. So you tell me, is there a need for you and I to guard the gospel in modern day America? Well, how do we do that? How do we guard that gospel? Paul tells us three ways that we're to guard the gospel. First... We're to guard the gospel by communicating it. Verse 11, Paul says, For which I was appointed a preacher, and an apostle, and a teacher. Some of us are called to preach the gospel. The word preacher there is the word karux. He was the imperial herion. He was the imperial Herald who would proclaim the message of the king. They didn't have telephones. They didn't have television. They didn't have radios. Well, how would the king get his message across the kingdom? He would send these messengers, these karooks, who would go through the countryside and into the villages, and he would proclaim loudly the message of the king. And his message carried the authority of the king. And he better be careful to accurately proclaim that message. He didn't add to it. He didn't take away from it. He proclaimed the message of the King. Paul takes this very word and says, I have been called to be a karukz, a proclaimer and herald of the message of the Gospel. Paul wasn't to add to it. He wasn't to take away from it. He was to deliver it as it was given to him. He was to communicate it. Through the preached word. Now some in here will be called to preach perhaps. Not all, but some. You must be true to that message and proclaim the message of the king. Next, Paul was uniquely an apostle. The word apostle means one who is sent out. Paul is talking about that special office that he and the other eleven had, known as the twelve apostles. Those twelve apostles' names are on the foundation stones in heaven. The church was built upon the apostles. This is unique to Paul. As the apostle, he was to formulate and to propagate the gospel. That was his responsibility. We don't have apostles like that today. So none of us are called to be an apostle in this sense. That brings us to the third way we communicate the gospel. And that is we are all called to teach the gospel. Paul says, and a teacher. Paul was to carefully impart the truth of God concerning growth and maturity. He was to plainly set forth the truth in an understandable way so that to instruct converts in the doctrines of God. And what was the goal of his instruction? He tells us over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. When he says, "But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith." Paul also in the book of Colossians talks about the purpose of instruction. As he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, 28. For we proclaim Him, admonishing every man, and teaching every man with all wisdom, for what purpose? So that we may present every man complete, and that word means mature, in Christ. Paul says the purpose of teaching the Word of God, of teaching the Gospel, is to present people mature in Christ, to help them grow into spiritual maturity. Most, if not all of us, in here today are called to teach the Gospel. Husbands, you're called to teach the Gospel to your wives, to teach them the Word of God. Mothers and fathers, you're called to teach the gospel to your children. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down, and when you rise up. We have a responsibility to teach our children. That's one of the primary ways we guard the gospel, is by teaching our children the true gospel. Teaching them the true message. If we will teach them the true message, then they will recognize the false message. You've heard me say before, that the way they train Department of Treasury agents to identify a counterfeit bill is by getting them thoroughly familiar with a true bill. And then they can pick up anything that is not according to the standard. Rather than showing them a multitude of counterfeit bills, they show them the true bill so that they understand it inwards and outwards and then they can recognize something that's not true. The same is true for our gospel. We must teach our children the true gospel, and then they will recognize that which is a false gospel. Grandparents, we also have a responsibility to teach our grandchildren the gospel. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Only heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Grandparents, it's not just the parents' responsibility to teach the truth of God to their children. It's our responsibility. To teach the Gospel. Teach the true Word to our grandchildren as well. So the first way we guard the Gospel is by communicating the Gospel accurately, truthfully. Second, we are to guard the Gospel by trusting the Holy Spirit to enable us. Verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. We trust the Holy Spirit to enable us to suffer for the gospel and not to be ashamed. A key theme in these opening verses of this letter, a key theme, suffering and not to be embarrassed. Look over in verse 8 of this first chapter. Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, according to the power of God. Again, in verse 12, the verse we just saw, he uses the term suffer, and he uses the term not to be ashamed. In verse 16, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed. Of my chains. Because Paul was appointed by God to propagate the gospel, to herald the good news, to formulate the doctrines of God, he was going to experience hardships and difficulties. And he would entrust the Holy Spirit to enable him to undergo these hardships and these difficulties. What kind of hardships did Paul have to endure? He told the church in Corinth, over in 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 and following. And look at what Paul endured for the sake of the gospel. And Paul said, if it had been left up to me, I wouldn't have been able to endure this. But it was the Holy Spirit that enabled me. Beginning... In verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane; saying I more so. He's talking about the false prophets. And he's saying they claim that I'm not one. But let me tell you what I've been through. See if they've been through this. In far more labors. In far more imprisonments. Beaten times without number. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes. Forty lashes was the death sentence. Five times he received thirty-nine. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three—he doesn't mean with drugs. He means with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked, and night and day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardships through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Now Paul endured that. For the sake of the gospel. Yet he realized he could not have endured had he not trusted the Holy Spirit to enable him to suffer and not to be ashamed. And he says over in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 that you and I can expect to suffer if we are going to live godly for Christ Jesus and guard the gospel. 2 Timothy 3, 12 Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. And we must trust the Holy Spirit to enable us as well to suffer and not to be ashamed. And Paul was not ashamed because he knew the Holy Spirit would care for his ministry. That's a crucial key. Paul said, For I know whom I have believed in. And I know He is able. He has the power. That word able is the word we get dynamite from. He has the power to keep that which I have entrusted, which I have placed in His care, which I have deposited. That word entrust is a legal term, which means to deposit something in someone's care, and they have a legal obligation to take care of it. Like we deposit money in a bank. Now when you deposit money in a bank, that bank has a legal obligation to care for that money. They're making a legal contract with you when they accept your deposit. Paul said, I can trust my ministry. I have deposited my ministry with the Lord Jesus through His Holy Spirit, and I know He's going to take care of it. And I know when I stand before Him on that judgment day to give an account, He will have seen to it that I'm faithful. It doesn't depend on me, Paul says. It depends on Him working in me. You see, it is not the man, but it is God working in the man. That's the key. It's not, are we able to remain faithful? The question is, can God keep us faithful? And He can. Paul says, I entrusted my ministry. I entrusted the message that God entrusted to me. I entrusted it back to Him. realizing." that He was well able, He had the power to take care of it and enable me to be the minister He had called me to be. The same is true for you and I. When you stand up for the gospel, when you stand up for the truth of God at work, at school, you're going to endure some disappointment. You're going to endure some embarrassment. You're going to be somewhat ostracized. You see, there are going to be parties that kids are going to have and they're not going to invite you to that party because they know you wouldn't do the things they're going to be doing there. And so they don't want you to be a part of it. That's going to hurt. That's going to disappoint you. At work, if you stand up for the Gospel, there are going to be things that are going to go on at work that they're not going to want you to be a part of. When you come up to the table, they're going to get quiet. Stop talking about what they were talking about. You're going to sense us being ostracized. And that hurts, let's be honest. We don't like to be rejected. No normal person wants to be rejected by other people. It's just something within us that we like to be liked. But if you stand for the gospel, if you stand up for the standards of God's Word, you're going to experience some mild persecution in this day maybe more extreme persecution in the future. But what we need to realize is that we have to entrust our ministry to the Holy Spirit and He will enable us to stand against that ostracization, to stand against the persecution and not to be ashamed for the gospel. We trust the Holy Spirit to enable us That's the second thing we do to guard the Gospel. The third thing we must do to guard the Gospel is we guard the Gospel by retaining its truth. Verse 13, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That word retain means to hold fast. It means to grip to take hold of securely. Jesus used this word when he told the story about the talents. You remember that uh, the king gave different amounts of money to different servants and then he went away on a journey and he came back and he said, okay, how have you done with what I've given you? And the guys uh, said, well, uh, this is you gave me two and I'm age six or whatever. And, and then he came to the last guy and he said, uh, uh, I took what you gave me and and I hid it in a handkerchief and, and put it away. Now, that's the word that's translated retain here. He took it and hid it and retained it. He kept it safe. He didn't want to take a chance. Anything would happen to it. When I was growing up, my dad would often go out and, Throw the baseball with me. And he used to have a ritual that he would do every time before we went out to play catch. He would take off his wedding band. He would take his handkerchief out of his pocket. And he didn't have a bandana like I do, but he would take his handkerchief out of his pocket. And he would thread his wedding ring down his handkerchief. And then he would put a knot in it. And then he'd stick it in his pocket. And he'd put on his glove and we'd play catch. Now, he didn't want to bend his wedding ring. And he knew catching the ball could bend it. He didn't want to just take it off and put it in his pocket. It could fall out. But by taking out his handkerchief and threading that ring down the handkerchief and then putting a knot in it, he wasn't going to lose it. He was retaining it. That's the picture that we have, to retain, to hold on to it securely. Jesus used this term metaphorically to speak about holding on and keeping His commandments in our mind and in our conduct. When He said, He who has My commandments and keeps them, same word, retains them, is he who loves Me. Now, Jesus meant, he who keeps my commandments in his heart and in the way he lives is the one who loves me. Paul says, you and I are to hold tightly in our mind and in our heart the standard of God's Word. You see, we are to retain the standard by, first of all, holding fast to the accuracy of the doctrines and truth of God's Word. Hold fast to the accuracy of God's Word. That word, standard, is the word for impress. It's the word for an engraving. You know, again, going back to the dollar bill, there are engraving plates that the Treasury department uses to make those dollar bills. And those engraving plates are made so that the money that comes off the press is an exact replica of the engraving plate, the standard. It matches it perfectly, right? That's the word for standard here, is the idea of an engraved mark in order that you might keep the sameness of a thing. Now, you and I could all take our dollar bills out of our pockets today, a one dollar bill, and we could compare them all, and though there are maybe 150 of us here, they would all look the same. Wouldn't be a bit of difference. Probably none of you have ever been to this building, yet indirectly... This building affects every one of us every day. This is the International Bureau of Measures and Weights outside of Paris, France. It houses the prototype length and weight that all other prototypes around the world are measured by. Now, what I'm going to show you is the prototype International Kilogram. You see how it is encased in a couple of different uh, glass in order to maintain the proper temperature, in order to maintain the right pressure, barometric pressure. It's made of platinum iridium because it's been found that that metal has the least amount of, of, uh, is affected the least amount by variations of temperature, etc., In, 19, in 1890, photocopies, phototypes of this telegram were made. Number 20 and number 4 were sent to the United States. Now, in the year 1893, by an order, number 20 was accepted as our national standard for weight. In our nation, a kilogram. Now, to give you an idea of how accurate the prototype we have is, the prototype we have, its mass relative to the international prototype kilogram, was reported at 999,999,961 billionth of a kilogram. In other words... The prototype that we have in our National Bureau of Weights and Measures is only 39 billionth of a kilogram different than the standard outside of Paris, France. 39 billionth. That's a fraction. They realize if the standard is off, Everything else is going to be off. And though the standard may be off just a little bit at the beginning, it keeps multiplying. And when you get down the road, it's nowhere close to the standard. Now, if we recognize the importance of a standard for weight and measurements, how much more important is it to have a standard for the eternal gospel? Of Jesus Christ. How much more important is it that we retain the standard of the gospel? That we not allow the word of God to be diluted and and compromised by society and those who would want to come in and rob it. We are to retain the gospel by holding fast. We are to retain it by guarding the treasure that is entrusted to us. The need in our day is just as great as it was in Timothy's day. Because there are those who want to pervert the gospel and corrupt it today every bit as much as they did in Timothy's day. Because Satan is still as active. But we must hold to the standard of the Word and not allow it to be corrupted. Not allow the accuracy of God's Word to to be shaved off by society. We must check everything by the Word. Make sure we are accurately interpreting the Word. Not allow our culture to shape our interpretation. Not to adopt the opinions of what's politically correct and allow that to change the standard of God's truth. Take this thing of divorce. Seventy-five years ago, a hundred years ago, it's amazing how the church interpreted what the Bible said about divorce so differently than it does today. Now, has the Word of God changed? Has the standard of God's Word changed? (laughs) No. But the standard that the church is holding up for the Word of God has changed. Female sex or relationships. Again. Go back a hundred years ago. What was the church saying about it then? What was the stand? What was the understanding of what the standard of God's Word said then? What's the standard that many think today? The Word hasn't changed. We have failed to hold the standard. To retain the standard of God's Word. Yes, we must guard the Gospel. We must guard that treasure that's been entrusted to us. A true Gospel that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. You cannot add to anything God has done in Christ. You cannot deserve it. You cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough. It is a free gift that God offers through faith in Jesus Christ. He accomplished it all. And then we must hold to the standard of the true teachings of God's Word and not lower the standard because of what's politically correct. If we, the church and the people of God, don't hold the standard, nobody will. We must guard the gospel by communicating it, by trusting the Holy Spirit to enable us, and by retaining the accuracy, the sound standard. Will you join me in guarding the gospel? Let's pray. Father, enable us by the power of Your Spirit to guard the Gospel. To communicate it. To trust You. To hold to the truth and not be affected by our world. In Jesus' name, amen. we want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond as the Holy Spirit is talking to you. If you need to come and talk to me about your relationship with Christ, step out. I'd love to talk with you. If you need to come and pray, if you'll come over to my left, no one will disturb you. If you want somebody to join with you in prayer, come over to my right and somebody will join you in in lifting your burden before the Lord. Stand and be obedient to the Holy Spirit.